Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. This podcast is a bar crawl around America to find out what real people around the country are saying about hot political issues and culture. I'm David Kochel, longtime political consultant and veteran of six presidential campaigns. And I'm Rob Stutzman, political consultant based in California, once worked for a governor named Schwarzenegger. But more than that, Kochel and I are best friends and have drank together in a lot of bars across this glorious country. More than I can count. That's right, Rob. Each week, we'll interview a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. When Kochel and I fly into a city to work and we want to know what's on people's minds about politics, culture, and pocketbooks, we do the only sensible thing and find a bartender. And to kick things off, we'll find out what drink the locals are ordering, get the recipe, and knock back a few while we chat with our guest. You can find the recipe for each week's cocktail in the show notes. And I can tell you, some of these will be amazing. If you decide to make this week's signature cocktail at home, please share a pic on Instagram or tweet about it with the hashtag HighballPodcast. And if you're a bartender or you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at HighballPolitics at gmail.com with the name of the bartender in the bar and why they be perfect for our show. Well, Rob, today we're talking with Kalen Sweet, who goes by Sweets. He is the chef owner at Osteria Poggio in New Hampshire. That's great. But before we chat with Sweets, let's set a little bit of context of what's been going on in the news and why New Hampshire is important to the upcoming election. New Hampshire, first primary after the first caucus. David, let's talk a little bit, make sure everyone understands, you know, why New Hampshire is so important, let alone famous, in our presidential selection process. Yeah, look, it's part of the twin starting gates of the presidential process. A lot of people right now focusing on national polls really don't understand how critical Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina are to, you know, setting up the rest of the delegate race. And I think we focus way too much on some of these national polls when what's really happening is, you know, these campaigns are getting their early start in Iowa and New Hampshire. There is polling out now we'll talk about later in a couple of these early states that, you know, sort of give us a little bit more context on what's really happening than what we see in the national polls. And New Hampshire is the first primary. It's a little different than some primaries because it's an open primary. It means that independents can vote in either the Republican or the Democratic primary. Now, this year, New Hampshire has to go, I think, third in the Democratic contest. In the Republican contest, it will be the second contest. And, you know, a caucus like we have in Iowa is different than a primary. This is actually, it looks like an election, whereas caucuses are people gathering into community centers or schools or firehouses across the state like in Iowa. And casting ballots in the room and then sending those tallies in, this is people going to the polls, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, caucus is a party meeting organized by the party. The rules are set by the party who can participate, not participate. A primary is much different, obviously. Yeah, every voter in New Hampshire is welcome to participate in the primary. It's actually run by the Secretary of State. We'll have results that night. Kind of one interesting thing is Dixville Notch votes at midnight on the Tuesday of the primary this year, every year. And so we get a little, you know, breathless coverage overnight of who won Dixville Notch. <laughs> I always find that kind of interesting. I wanted to come up with some place in Iowa we could hold a caucus at midnight on the Sunday night before the Monday caucuses, but I, I could never convince but, anybody. Of that. You know, but, but that goes to some of the point is that, you know, this is a New Hampshire tradition. It brings money to the state, like we've talked about with Iowa. There's a political tourism that comes with this, all the retail politics that goes on, the press that comes in. I mean, this is an important part of New Hampshire culture, if not economy, every four years. It'd be interesting to talk to Sweets about that. Yeah, I agree. And also, 
New Hampshire is a very swingy state. It's a state that, you know, is two Democratic senators and a very popular Republican governor, by the way, who's who's being talked about to run for president himself. And it's got a congressional district, the first congressional district that basically gets handed back and forth between Republicans and Democrats almost every cycle. So it's one of those states that, you know, really matters a lot, not just in this primary and kind of setting the field, but also it's a bellwether state, a very purple state, and it'll make a difference in who wins the White House as well. Referring there to Governor Sununu, who... If he doesn't run, his endorsement will be coveted, no doubt, in that state. Let's get on with it. Let's get Sweets in here and talk some New Hampshire politics and hospitality. We welcome Sweets, who runs Osterio Poggio in Center Harbor, New Hampshire. Okay, I'd like to welcome our guest, our special guest from the Granite State, New Hampshire, Sweets. We're excited to have you on because New Hampshire is such an important place. We'll get into the politics, but first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about OP and your place. Yeah, so we're a restaurant uh, in an old mansion. OP, Ostria Boji means tavern on the hill. Our moniker for so long has been Italian done different, but we're starting to segue into just, I guess, new modern American, still with a lot of Italian focus. We do everything from scratch here, from the kitchen all the way to the bar program. So we take a lot of pride in that. And, you know, our big goal is about building community, taking care of the people that are around and, you know, giving them a good meal, you know, because everybody deserves a good meal. And tell us about the part of the state where Center Harbor is. Yeah, so we're in what they call like the lakes region. We're about middle of the state. Funnily enough, like where we are is where the capital was supposed to be originally, but it's now called Sandwich. But um, wartime industrialization moved down to like Concord, Manchester area. So there's like a lot of land up here, a lot of people. Like the restaurant looks right out on Lake Winnipesaukee. The area up here is kind of diverse in the sense like we have... You know, people like me, like working class, like who work restaurants. We also have a lot of transplants, people who have been able to like work remotely from home, not have to like go to their big offices in the city. So we've we've got a lot more folks that have come up that are from like the city life, like Boston, New York, who've been able to come up here and just be like a part of what's going on in our area. Generally, um, people think of us as a touristy area. Summertime, I mean, we're about to get into our super busy season. Summertime starts around May goes all the way through till Columbus Day weekend. I think I have a very diverse crowd of people, you know, all age ranges, all different backgrounds, blue collar to white collar to whatever other collars there are. You know, um, <laughs> we have a pretty diverse group around here. No collar required. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the vibe, the feel, you got a little bit of, you got a bar area, right? So, you know, our bar area, it's eclectic. It's got all sorts of things going on in it. You know, you sit down, we don't have a TV on downstairs. Eventually, we'll be activating upstairs with TVs and stuff like that. But when people come in, they usually just come in and start chatting with each other, chatting with other people around. Like, right at the bar, everybody who's sitting at the bar just starts chatting with each other. You know, like, oh, hey, I'm trying this dish. You should try it. And, you know, just a very friendly environment when you come in. You know, it's it's an old mansion, so basically an old house. So we want people to come in and feel at home right away. So when you walk in, our hallway is just filled with pictures of like the building, our staff, you know, it's got all sorts of stuff. So it's like our history. So when people come in, they feel like at home. I think I always joke, the only thing that's missing from making this like a real house is like Legos on the floor for you to step on. But it's an eclectic place. We bring a lot of different things into it. I mean, one of the rooms has a sit-down arcade table for like Marvel versus Capcom because it's something that I grew up playing and I saw (laughs) once. Like, I got to have this to the restaurant. And it's funny because kids go and they can't play it. 
they think they're playing, they don't. But like adults go and play, you know, like just enjoy themselves. This podcast is called Highball Politics. We'll get to the politics in a bit. But first, let's get from you the signature cocktail that you'd like to tell our listeners about. Best friend Negroni. So Negroni is a very classic Italian cocktail. Some say it's the Italian cocktail and every other Italian cocktail has been created from the Negroni and they've all just been mistakes. Bourdain said about the Negroni is like, you take three really awful things and you put them together and you have something magical. It was our original bar manager who came up with it. So it's, you know, it's Junipero gin. It's a very specific gin that we use. And then Campari and then Vermouth. So generally speaking, it's one part Vermouth, one part gin, one part Campari, and then a little bit of orange. But for us, we do the Campari, which is the main component. We have the gin, which we pick a particular one, Junipero, more botanicals. And then um, we go with Punta Mas, which is a Amaro Vermouth blend. So it's not as... Like I have a hard time going out and getting Negroni anywhere else because they're a little cloying, a little, little too sweet. The orange notes are just perfect. I have one every night. Like, I've had one every night, I think, since we've opened. It's like my end of the night break. You know, it's not for everybody, but the people who, who love it just go nuts about it. And it's just a play off a classic, but it's something we've had on since day one that we've never changed. Sounds outstanding. I'm based in California, and you are using a California gin. I love that. Nunapero is from San Francisco. How'd you guys land on that gin? Our original bar manager, he did some research, and that's the gin that he wanted to go with originally. It's the best. I know when we have a different gin in there, you know, it's like it's just, it's not the same. It's still good, but it's not the same as like going with that Junipero. By next week, if this podcast is sponsored by Junipero Gin, we will uh, give you a commission. Coast to coast influence on the best friend Negroni. I love that. I, you know, I was in Italy last year and trying to develop a taste for those Negronis, but I'm going to try and make one with the Junipero. Again, sponsorships available out there if you're listening to <laughs> And don't forget the Punta Mess. Okay. You know, we can sell two ad slots, so <laughs> you won't forget that either. <laughs> All right, we want to talk about the New Hampshire primary. When candidates have come through in the past and they're about to beset you know, upon the state again, that's on the Republican side, do they make it through town? You know, what are people's reactions? Just give us the lay of the land from the ground about the primary. Yeah, I mean, like, there's always excitement. People come through. We haven't had a candidate swing by here yet, but, like, they come through and they swing to, like, all of, like, the smaller big parts of towns. Like, Tamworth, they'll, they'll go to Tamworth, which isn't, like, a big town, but they'll go to, like, the Remick Country Farm because, like, they do all, like, the traditional New Hampshire things like sugaring. You know, they got the whole farm vibe, that down-home feel. They'll start hitting up all the schools, you know, they go to the high schools. And I was talking with Dave earlier about uh, when I was in high school and we had the primaries. Shared a story about John Kerry with him. Let's get into it. Yeah, so John Kerry is running in the primaries, 2004, and, um, you know, we get notified as students, like, hey, he's coming in. He's going to do a little talk with students. It was kind of like invite only for certain students. I was allowed to go because I filmed for the news station. I wasn't a great academic. I was doing pretty bad in my American government class. Teacher had said, if you ask John Kerry a question, I'll bump you a letter grade. So I'm filming the whole thing. He does his little spiel and goes, all right, questions. So you get all the standard high school questions. Like, what are you going to do about legalizing marijuana? Like, what are you going to do about college? Like, what are they going to do about legalizing marijuana at colleges? Like, it's just all... <laughs> he goes, I've smoked marijuana before, and then dodges the answer. And then, like, oh, I've been to college, and I know college is important, and then dodges the answer. I'm sitting in the back filming this, and I'm like, I don't know if this guy knows how to answer a question. 
So I raised my hand and, and um, he calls on me in the back and goes, you in the back? And I said, yeah, um, I was wondering if you know how to answer a question, <laughs> which he wasn't thrilled with. But he's like, what do you mean? And I go, well, you know, someone asks you a question and you think about the answer and then you give them an answer that relates to the question instead of dodging the answer. Do you, do you know how to do that? Well, he got pretty upset. Starts like berating me in front of all these kids. He's like, I know how to answer a question. I'm the only one who's ever admitted to smoking weed and blah, blah, blah. I have integrity, blah, blah, blah. And I'm filming the whole thing. And he's like, you ask me a question right now, right now, and I will answer it. So now... The only good question I had, I've already used. So I'm going to go, all right, man, college, you know, I'm not from an affluent family. I don't have a ton of money. I want to go to BU. What are you going to do for a kid like me who, you know, wants to get into BU? I then heard the college answers, which went over, you know, I was like, okay, none of these are answered. <laughs> and then he goes, but I'm going to write you a personal recommendation to Boston University. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. And like went back to filming. Afterwards, I got stopped by a bunch of like the news people around. Like asking, like, what made you think of that question? I was like, he just wasn't answering a question. You're journalists and stuff. Why aren't you concerned that like a presidential candidate can't answer a question? By the time I got back to class, it had gone around the school. I walked into class and he goes, there's no way you said that to him. I said, yeah, I, I did. I have it on tape. And he's like, no, you, you didn't ask that. And I said, I did. I was getting pissed off. So I got a bump and a half on my grade. A letter grade in half because... I didn't ask the question, but he was impressed. Are you still waiting on that recommendation letter? I never got the recommendation. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Kerry. I ended up having to go to a bunch of John Kerry, like, politics stuff. I've met Mrs. Hines. Kerry's wife, yeah. Yeah, they decided that I wasn't meant for the political field after, like, the meeting. Like, I was that guy. So are there 57 different Hines things that you guys do? And they're like, you don't seem to take this seriously, so we won't come back. <laughs> But I ended up being on the news in Boston about it. He was on the news about it. I doubt he remembers me for anything. But that was like the first time, like my first introduction to politics. I'm an idealist. I'm like, you know, we're running for office. We're supposed to be honest. Talk about things. Then why can't we talk about things? Like, why Why is it all dodging? Why do we feel like we have to appease everybody? That's not the point. The point is to have yeah. debate. Yeah. Debate is where people come to the table. We share ideas and we walk away with a better understanding of the other side, maybe not changing our opinion. We have a better understanding of where they're coming from, which allows us to make positive change. This is a perfect New Hampshire story. The politicians who do well in New Hampshire are the ones who can face voters like you who just ask the most obvious questions and can talk straight at it. John McCain is a good example. Straight Talk Express out there in 2000 basically would talk to anybody, would go into any diner, would answer any question. I feel like your governor, Chris Sununu, is a little bit like that as well. When I've seen him, he seems able to kind of get into just about anything. He's got a sense of humor. He's got some charm. That's what I love about New Hampshire. You're not going to take any of the talking point bullshit, and you really want to get right into it. And that's why states like New Hampshire and Iowa are so important to the process, because, yeah, you're not afraid to go up and kind of hit these guys, you know, right where they live and, and ask tough questions and have high expectations. You're not just going to get the packaged consultant-driven answers, I think you play an important role in that. Well, you got to think, like, you're running for president, and president wasn't meant to be just, like, a job. It was a privilege to lead, you know? Like, it was this big privilege to lead your country and to represent your country, and the people that voted you in thought that you were the man or hopefully one of these days the woman for the job. And if that's the case, your life is under a microscope. Like, people are always looking at you, and no one's perfect, but you got to understand that anybody we're bringing in isn't perfect. We're trying to pick someone who's going to lead us the best that 
they can't. Let's get into the talk about picking up what you hear from your patrons on all of this, especially around primary time. I mean, are they discussing it all with one another? I think that's one of the things that we cultivate here. You know, like we talk about the economy. We're like, oh man, the economy's in rough shape, but we're not putting blame on anyone particular. You know, like when we're talking at the bar, it's like, this is something that we've noticed. Or like, this is something that we've noticed. But, you know, as a restaurant owner, like we want to take care of everybody. And it's like, my personal beliefs aside, my staff's personal beliefs aside, like that's a personal thing. And you share that with people that you want to share with. And at the bar, we just try to cultivate this experience of like, you're all right to talk about whatever you want to talk about. You know, we'll say something about the economy, but then it always comes back to like, how do we as a small community work to make changes? Because it comes down to people who are working for the town or people who are working for the state. You know, like that's something that plays closer to home for us than like that presidential candidate. I mean, I know once the primaries are hitting, it's going to be conversation. Where they've hit before, we're all talking about it. So in 2016, New Hampshire Republican primary went for Trump. It really kind of launched Trump. It was his first victory. Did not win in Iowa in the caucuses. Trump's already announced and running, and Trump has been at the forefront, everyone <laughs> I want to describe it, of our American political lives now since 2016, if not 15. So there has to be some type of discussion about Trump, particularly how critical New Hampshire was to him and will be again. I mean, if he doesn't win New Hampshire, I think he's probably starts into a free fall. What is the general consensus about Trump or is he just too difficult to think for people to talk about? They avoid it. I'm lucky that I have friends that will talk to me about stuff and I get to see things from different perspectives. The first thing I'd say is that there's a lot of hate speech coming out of his mouth, you know, and... Hate speech is not something that has ever been positively building a, a community of a place of anything. But that being said, you know, he's the businessman. He does have intelligent ideas about how to run an economy. But at the same time, like, he doesn't have any kind of leeway. He's not trying to win everybody over. He's just trying to win over these particular people. And I still drive around. There's still Trump flags everywhere. There's Trump bumper stickers. You know, like, I've never seen that with anybody else. It unnerves me a bit because... It doesn't seem to be about the politics as much as about, like, the rough talk, like the hate speech. Tell us more about that. You don't think it's about politics. This is now transcended. You feel culturally there to something else. I see. I mean, if you ever watched South Park, have you watched the whole thing with Mr. Garrison running for president? <laughs> like, what's terrifying about it is that it's a satire, but it's very kind of accurate, I think, to how a lot of people view him. I and mean, we have this... Mr. Garrison character who's saying all of these crazy things, things that like people are like, yeah, they're saying all this stuff and I'm watching this and I'm watching the whole thing play out. And I'm like, even the creators of South Park thought that our country would not elect him. And the day that he won the election was the day before they aired the episode about winning and they had thought Hillary was going to win and they had to rewrite the whole episode, change their whole series. They couldn't believe it. They kind of believe that it happened like that, like that's that's how the country chose. But that's what you hear all the time. It's not that you can't go online and find other things, but like where can you find an unbiased news source nowadays too? You know, like everybody's got some form of bias or opinion. How are you supposed to make an educated decision about someone where everything you hear comes from a level of bias? You say Sununu, right? Like there's people who love Sununu and there's people that don't like Sununu, right? And if someone were able to put down all the facts on a piece of paper, actual facts about Sununu, then that's something to go with. It's the whole Guy Fieri principle. Why do we hate Guy Fieri? No one knows. 
We just hate them for different reasons. <laughs> Our racing stripe profit or profit West. Yeah. <laughs> but that guy has done so many positive things for my industry, for people in the industry. But because he wears a sunglasses on the back of his head, we're, we want to tar and feather, or we want to treat him like Nickelback. Which what's wrong with Nickelback? <laughs> I think people rather hate something than positively support something. It's a lot easier to come at all of this stuff with like, this sucks, I hate it, versus how can I make positive change? How can I be better? You're so right. We're driven now by negative partisanship, tribal politics, where it's all about having the right enemies and picking the right fights with the right enemies. And, you know, politics is in the middle of changing. Well, hopefully in New Hampshire, though, you actually get to have some of these real conversations that are important. Maybe President Trump doesn't do the town hall, you know, with 130 people, but I'll guarantee you that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and others will have to do that. That. And, you know, we can only hope that your patrons and you and and other folks up there kind of hold these folks feet to the fire, ask the tough questions and demand the answers. Don't let them dance around it. So I'm glad that New Hampshire is still such an important part of the process because of the character of the people there. I've heard New Hampshire voters described as flinty, and I think that's kind of a good word. You know, they can be a little bit prickly about, you know, if, if some well, like you, you're an example. 18-year-old kid or 17-year-old kid not letting John Kerry skate by with not giving an answer. We need more of that in our politics. So now that everyone's Googling the proper use of the word flinty and Cotchell hasn't aged himself at all. <laughs> Sweet. And like, ooh, John, you know, John Kerry said we were flinty. Uh, do you circle back a little bit. I want to come back because you mentioned that your patrons talk about the economy being tough, which isn't what people would necessarily say everywhere across the country. Tell us a little bit about, you know, especially of all the callers there, more of the blue collar folks, the working class, what type of jobs do they engage with? What are the industries? What are they doing for a living? And why is the economy built up? I can't say too much about anything except my industry, because that's what I'm in all the time. This industry, you know, it's been glorified a lot. You know, everybody thinks like they're going to be the next, you know, Anthony Bourdain or Bobby Flay or all these kind of things like this big Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. But you grunt. I'm still, I'm still grinding. You know, like I've been doing this for a very long time now. I've been running this restaurant for five years. I've owned it for three. And it's a grind. You have to grind. And once COVID happened in my industry, instead of restaurants taking care of the people that made everything run on a daily basis, people showed up to work one day and didn't have a job. Then you have to sit and think like all this work that I put in, people don't seem to care about so much. I'm tired of being like treated poorly. I'm going to look for something else. So like we're still constantly struggling to find good help to come in to be a part of the team and like grow and be successful in this career. And I think you find that with a lot of careers now because like then all of a sudden people are able to sit at home and answer the phone and do remote jobs, which they were also then allowed to be around their family and have these lives that we don't get to have. I mean, I work during summer anywhere from 12 to 18 hours a day. It's not a glorious career. You have to really love it. Like you have to love every second of it. And I think people now are like, well, everything has gone up. Money needs to come up for us. But then when you're a business owner, it's like as a small business, particularly, it's difficult. If you're not making as much as even your lowest paid employee, not many people can hack that. And not many people are willing to make that sacrifice to take care of their employees properly and treat them like human beings instead of numbers. And I think when I'm talking about the economy, everyone got treated like numbers. And then all of a sudden, these numbers were like, well, I'm more than a number and I have other avenues. And we're struggling with that because 
we want to spend, we want to make things better, but you can't, you know, I get to decide whether I'm wearing the same socks, like whether I can afford new socks or toilet paper this week. I usually go for the toilet paper. The gap before between like upper class to middle class to lower class, it's jumped without any fault, I think, of people who are going in and doing that daily grind of whatever they're doing, you know? Housing prices went up, they skyrocketed, but our wages didn't go up. All these things jacked up, but we're still working the same we were before. And it's like, we can't raise prices because then people, like the hope of getting people to come in and just cover what we need to cover makes it difficult. There's a squeeze going on and particularly in your industry, it's it's never been an easy business. And I got to think because of COVID in part, it, it's getting even tougher out there. It's been a grind, but I don't mind doing the grind. Well, I'm going to keep doing the grind until the grinding's done. Okay, sweet. So we're going to take this another direction now. Just for fun, we ask our guests to come up with a couple of different cocktails and we like to keep it a little bit local. So you're in the Granite State, you're in New Hampshire. We want you to come up on a spot with two cocktails. One's going to be called the Sununu. Could be father or son, doesn't matter. The other one is going to be the fake governor and fake president, the Jed Bartlett. West Wing. I got to be honest, I love Jed Bartlett. (laughs) Let's start with that one then. What's going to be in a Jed Bartlett? I feel Jen Bartlett's a whiskey or a bourbon guy. I'm going to go with an after-dinner cocktail versus a before-dinner, like that after-dinner where he's going to sit down and just chill and have a conversation and just enjoy a sipper. So I start with Willard bourbon, just nice and smooth. Willard bourbon, some cold brew coffee, a little splash of liquor 43 to add like that vanilla note back into it, and just a little bit of half and half to cream it out. Just nice and shaken, poured in a coupe glass. And then wood smoked. You open it up and it gives you that like outdoorsy, like I'm having a bourbon and a coffee by a campfire. He's that kind of class. Like this is where I can sit down and conversations happen. And like this is a drink that we can have conversations. I feel like Toby would be sneaking a sip of that when he went when Bartlett wasn't looking. <laughs> 100%. I think Sorkin would agree with you. He could have written that into an episode. That was Sorkin esque <laughs> in the way you came up with that one. Thank you. I like the Nunu. Yeah. Man, I mean, I don't want to come with something that he'd be offended with. Be as savage as you want. I really do picture Sununu having a Cosmo. (laughs) I picture him having a Cosmo with a higher-end vodka, so it seems classier. Like, let's go with a Grey Goose with a double splash of Grand Marnier and not the classic Cosmo drink. Light tank, he wants to be like my hat. Red. My hat to chartreuse color. So I'd see a Cosmo with three limes. Very luxurious. So here's a quick funny thing about Sununu. He did a podcast with our good friend Steve Hayes from The Dispatch, another podcast that our listeners should check out. But he was interviewing Sununu, and Sununu engages Hayes on this whole discussion about how he's getting into bourbon. But the subtext of it was very much, I think, a cosmopolitan drinker. Then felt like he better snip the bourbon if he's going to run for president. Yeah, you got to be yeah. taken seriously. <laughs> Knowing that, I'll give you a secondary for him. The presidential Sununu runner, as opposed to Governor Sununu, will say, Whistleback, piggyback, rye, Manhattan. So the Whistleback, piggyback, rye, some pork versus vermouth. Give us some more unctuousness, some more body. Toshi cherries, which are kind of like Luxardo cherries. A little drizzle of syrup. And then just a quick little splash of cold brew coffee once again. That's shaken. And then a little mist of citrus bitters. Kacha, we're going to have to get these to the governor's sedator and have them pick, I think. Yeah, when we get closer to the primary, have sweets back, maybe we'll have a verdict from Sanino on which one he wants. Presidential, not presidential. (laughs) I mean, that's the choice. His choice might depend on if he decides to run or not, I suppose. 
Yeah, he just still hasn't announced yet, but it's all over. It's any day now. We'll get an announcement. <laughs> well, Sweets, hey, man, we are grateful to you. Thank you for taking time to visit with us and share with people across America your life there, your community, your business. You got a great sense of the pulse of your community. Thank you for sharing it. And I, if you're willing, we'd love to circle back with you here in a few months once candidates are trudging around New Hampshire. Absolutely. All right, Sweets. Thanks so much again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Council, that was great. I think we learned a lot, got a real sense of what it's like there on the ground in New Hampshire. You know, a state of 1.3 million people. That's why the candidates go there, so they can retail and identify with people. What stuck out with you in our discussion? Well, number one, he's obviously a creative genius when it comes to cocktails, because he did those on the fly. Normally, we give people a heads up, and they get to put a little bit of work into it, but he came up with those off the top of his head. That was fantastic. You know, look, New Hampshire is so important, along with Iowa. We talk about these national polls, and people are up and people are down. It's all driven by name ID and kind of what the earned media is doing, but national polls will get turned on their head once the voters of New Hampshire have a say. They're almost meaningless, and right now, you know, POS is out with the poll in Iowa, New Hampshire that has DeSantis leading in Iowa and tied in New Hampshire. And, and I should point out, David, POS in our world public means public opinion strategies, not something else. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good point. So, you know, while the all the talk in the last couple of weeks, Trump's national poll numbers are looking good and the national political conversation focuses, I think, way too much on that when what's really happening on the ground in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, that's what is really going to drive this process, you know, through the early part of next year. And it's going to determine, you know, who wins the nomination and who can go on and compete in November. Yeah, you can learn a lot more right now from talking to people like Sweets in an early state than probably from national polling. So what stuck out to me is the Trump movement, which he didn't even say, you know, I thought it was really interesting. He said he doesn't think it's about politics anymore. Uh, it's about something okay. deeper and cultural. And I think, of course, he was indicating something darker in that cultural movement. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on all that, obviously, in the weeks ahead, as we haven't talked about, but potential pending indictments and then the potential for violence that the former president has basically been uh, inviting. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're going into a pretty touchy part of the year here with all those. It's not just one potential indictment. There are multiple. Yeah, we, we kind of hate to see the rhetoric get ratcheted up, but that's where we are in 2023 going into 2024. So we're just going to keep talking to bartenders, Rob, and try to, you know, give people something to laugh about, maybe a few good new ideas for drinks they can whip up on their own and highlight a few special places like the OP. Yeah, I think sweets came through for us. Even the fictional cocktails really weren't fictional. He was just assigning really good cocktails to, well, our fictional president and the Sanudas. We encourage everyone to try those cocktails, post pictures, tag us at Highball Podcast, and let's create some goodwill out there in times where we need to find it. That's it for this episode of Highball Politics. Thank you for giving us a shot, pun intended. See you again next week. We'll be somewhere else in this great country talking to a bartender about politics, culture, and libations. Until then, pal, cheers. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. 
And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And please, share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.